0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Purpose at Work podcast. This is your host, Spencer Jacobson. And today we have a great episode with Rick A. Campora, COO of WaveMaker, which is a global digital agency based in New York City. And I love this episode for the main reason that it is so focused on team. And how leadership is so crucial in helping people win together, come together. And one of the other things that's really interesting is in listening to Rick, clearly is a confident, outgoing guy. But what you wouldn't know is that he actually started out really painfully shy. And that he didn't really develop... this ability to connect so well until he sold advertising door-to-door, I believe in college. And so another great lesson about uh, the ability to build leadership and the ability to build these skills that we talk about so often. So this is a great episode. I think you're going to love it. Let's get started. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you. Thanks a lot, Spencer.
0: Rick, I would love to hear a bit of context about WaveMaker and your role at WaveMaker today.
1: Yeah, sure. WaveMaker as a whole is, we're a media agency, but we're sort of built really around the future of media and that's a core part of our our proposition. So we are very focused on our clients best future, but not just through what you might think of in traditional media, but really sort of the coming together of media tech and content and how that plays through in, in a more modern way for our clients advantage.
0: I'd love to hear too, COO can often be a, it can be so different at different companies. Yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to get a glimpse of what COO looks like for you and WaveMaker.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I think you know, COO is probably not a traditional operations role. Partly because while I I like that aspect of things, I don't find that to be strictly as fulfilling as a lot of the other things that I've been able to be a part of and, and help lead and and just uh, help influence and touch. I think COO for me and and at WaveMaker. Sometimes might feel like a run to the latest problem sort of a thing, wherever that might be, but there's a huge people component in terms of helping to really identify and work with and coach our people to be sort of their best future as individuals and as professionals and really sort of um, almost helping to build a stage for them in many ways that they should shine on. And I think we have to make room as leaders to do just that, hire really smart, wonderful people and make room for them to sort of capture the spotlight and shine and then protect them as much as possible. So, you know, that's a big part of my role. And part of that is coming out of looking after growth for Wavemaker as well. So I I'm, have I'm a big part of new business and what we put forward as sort of our best
0: people and our best story. Got it. Love that. And. Rick, that actually goes into the question that I wanted to, in some ways, start with was we talked a lot about coaching and developing people, creating space for people. I'd love to hear, what do you consider to be your purpose in the way you show up as a leader? It's a great question. My
1: purpose, I think if I get down to, and if I think about my purpose or what gets me motivated or inspired every day, honestly, that is, that is the people that's team I just tend to be somebody who thrives in team environments and using the word partner, not lightly, but in its truest form and sense. And when you can surround yourself and solve challenges and sort of grow together as partners, I think there's magic in that. And so... I sort of will say often that that to me, that's winning together, super competitive. So winning is important to me, but doing that together, you know, we say often, there's no such thing as losing, there's winning and learning. And if we can get the right team together, then you can really actually live that, that sort of mantra.
0: You know, that's something that I've been, I'll say embracing as a leader myself is, is actually, so I want to win, obviously but seeing how my desire to win has actually been getting in the way of letting my team fail yeah. and how not letting my team fail has been getting in the way of us winning mm-hmm. in, in, in the long run. So this is, and I'm, you know, in some ways early, you know, early days in, in a lot of my leadership experience here, but that's been a big mental hurdle is just seeing how, Hey, It may not get done to what I would do it at. And they may even need to fail a few times in order to have that experience in order to really pick it up and start learning it and getting it and getting it. You know, I suppose the question I have, Rick, for you is, I'd love to hear about when team and winning together, maybe turning back the clock, when did that really start to become something where you were realizing, huh, team is amazing. There's something special here. Winning together is, is what I want to do with my life. When did you start to realize that?
1: I suppose it was sort of always there, but I think when it really came front and center for me was when I came to MEC at the time, which, you know, MEC and, and Maxis merged about a year or so ago to become Wavemaker. So, but when I first came to MEC and what I really loved about that experience and opportunity was I, I had, yes, a competitive spirit. But also a bit of a thirst to just constantly take on more and get involved with the HR team and our training programs and lead more businesses and work with bigger teams and I was able to to do a lot of that and it sort of anywhere I had that thirst it it came through. And I think what that opened the door to me was this idea of, of sort of winning together winning as a team because. Today's world is so fragmented. There's so many specialisms. Think about it, whether it's sports or advertising, everybody's got a very specific role to play, but you can't do the bigger piece. You can't actually win it alone. You have to actually have that team. And I just think when... um, you know it came through big time for me was on a specific financial client at the time, and we were working we pretty much were given ninety days to turn the entire relationship around or it was going to go to pitch and there's no way you can do that alone. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have partners, true partners that helped me lead that transformation. And then a whole team of people, 30, 40 people that were all sort of galvanized in the same direction. And I, when you turn that around and the client says to you, I was so out and now I'm so in, and that's in 90 days. And you wind up, you know, becoming amazing partners with that client. There's no, there's just no better feeling. I can't describe it even. Like, that's just the ultimate win.
0: What did you bring to those initial meetings with the team that was formed that, so it wasn't going so well, right? And so what did you intentionally bring that created the chemistry or the commitment or the context or the mindset that enabled that turnaround?
1: Yeah, I think one thing was, This idea, whatever you want to call it, but passion, hustle, caring, I think those were big things. I think when you walk into an existing team and it's not going well, the easy thing is to sort of point out errors, mistakes, or what's not going well. And um, the harder thing to do is figure out how to make all of them better together and realize they're a part of the solution, not a part of the, the problem, and that you have their back. Right, So I think caring was a big part of that. I think the client felt that caring about them and their business. I mean, we had one-on-one meetings with what does, what does great look like? And that was positioned as not just for you as client overall, but you as individual client and your agenda. And the same with each one of those team members at the agency. You know, myself and and the couple of other partners I had on the business, we sat down with every single person and said, where do you want to be? How do we help you get there? And then that became sort of part of the, hey, these guys are looking out for me. I'm not in jeopardy. I can be freed up to do
0: better work and they can help me do better work on this client. That was one of the things that we talked about when we connected before was when people feel like... When, let's say when an employee feels like you have their interests in mind, it frees them up to have someone else's interests in mind. Can you talk a little bit more about the impact of that that you've seen in your career? Yeah, I think, you know,
1: when I at a certain point when I came into the COO role, actually, I went around to each one of our offices and sat down with all of the, the, the teams and I actually wanted to get, because people used to talk about our culture and sort of say, I can't quite put my finger on it. You've got this nest to you, this certain something, but I don't know what it is. And I was out to sort of define that. And, you know, I just literally wrote down the words that people said. And the thing that came through, which was absolutely amazing, was that they felt that that we had their back. It was a work hard, but play hard uh, sort of environment. It was sort of caring beyond work. It was protected. It was familial in its truest sense. And I think that the impact of that, again, is that people stay close. Even when they leave, we get a lot of boomerangs um, that come back. And I think that you wind up with, and it's become one of our core tenants in our culture, which is care. And it's a simple word, but you get people caring for each other and that gets you out of the the day to day grind, the bad day you have. Those are going to be there. But when everybody sort of got their backs, it keeps you coming back for more and more and lets you push through that. So the impact I've seen is just be these small families being part of a bigger family that can really accomplish just about anything together as a result.
0: I love that. And Rick, I want to I wanna turn back the clock a little bit to, to have people help understand a little bit more of who you are and some of these moments that have created you. So you're actually not the first guest who has sold things door to door. Okay, but I, uh, there, but I would love to hear about that experience that we had talked about of selling door to door, what that looked like, and the impact on you. Because I can, I, and I was a salesperson, even just regular sales can be really confronting. So we'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that experience actually changed my life completely. Um, It's one of those things I would never, ever trade. And if I could find a way to get our people to all experience some version of that, I would. And we've looked at different ways in training, elevator pitch, sort of simulated door-to-door in the office to do just that. But I was an incredibly shy person like painfully shy to the point where my older sister used to have to go to the Burger King counter to you know, ask for change if that was the case, and I was paralyzed by it. And um, I went to grad school for clinical social work, decided I did not want to pursue that for a living, and I, I sort of fell into this door-to-door sales opportunity. And you mirror somebody for a bit, and uh, thankfully during those times, I didn't actually have to say anything at the door, I just observed. I remember the first time he said, you know, okay, this one's yours, ring the doorbell. And I was just like, oh my God, are you kidding? But it forced me to get over that shyness. And it taught me to just go out there and make a bunch of friends. You have something that you believe in. And as long as you believe in it, you have to learn to adjust your story to the person you're talking to. But the reality is if they don't want it, somebody else will. My job's to hustle and see as many people as I can in a day and uh, make as many friends, tell my story to as many people. The rest sort of takes care of itself. As long as you can stay upbeat, and as long as you don't uh, sort of miss the opportunities that come along and that, that comes with just constantly tweaking. You know, and being able to read a person as you get good at it, the second they open a door, you know, man, I got to be super brief on this one, or maybe I got to tell a story about just getting out of the house that one time and it was worth it, or this one needs to hear about special treatment and pampering, you know, so you dial up different pieces But I would get invited into houses and sit down and they'd want to talk and give me lemonade or coffee and hang out. Now, as a salesperson trying to see a bunch of people in a day, you don't want to do a lot of that, right? But it was still wonderful. Some people needed just to hear somebody or talk to you. Other people wanted you to give them the thing and get out of there. But to be able to get somebody to give you $20 cash in your hand for ringing their doorbell,
0: I thought was a pretty amazing skill to learn. So in that experience, you mentioned, hey, I'd love to give everybody here that experience as well. If you had to boil it down to one or two things that you learned or transformed through, what is it that you would wish to give to all the people that you work with?
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing is something I was saying, I guess, and you've probably heard it before, but hustle beats talent. So I was sprinting from door to door because it just meant I could see another person. And, um, you know, you do that until it's dark and then you figure out how to ring an extra one. You know, so I think hustle beats talent. I've just uh, hustle, hustle, hustle. I love it. That's a competitive fire. And that's that's part of what wins. And then I think the other thing about it is that I would wish for people to take away is sort of the ability to. Sell without selling, I guess it is, Um, the ability to just be able to have a conversation, tell a story, believe in what you're doing, and the right sort of buyers will want it, and you're not for everybody, but that's okay. I think in our businesses, a lot of times, you can come across desperate and just, you know, needing that sale and wanting that sale, that people smell it, and the second that happens, that door shuts, and you've, you've lost that one. Um, so a bit of just protecting your everyday sort of psyche and who, who you are and what you're doing to be able to tell a real
0: positive story and customize that, I don't know, it's a long way to answer. So sorry. Love it. No. And so it, we've come back to hustle a few times and I, and also know that you are a sports fanatic. Yep. So how, how does that, how does that interplay for you and where does the love of sports come from and, and how do you think about that now?
1: Love of sports, it's interesting to say like where that came from, because I mean, certainly my my dad was a sports fan, but not nearly the fanatic that I suppose I am. But from an early age, I would just rather play than watch. And even today, like it's hard for me to just work out on a treadmill. I'd far rather I could run for hours if I'm just competing in some way. I got to run from or after something. I don't know which, but I got to do one. And I just... Even if you lose, I'm okay, you know, like I said, it's winning and learning, but it's just competing. The actual like journey of competing is, is just so motivating for me. So I do, I take that love of sport and competition and I bring it into the everyday, whether that's in a new business pitch and wanting to have like-minded competitive people go out and be willing to do whatever it takes because it takes a lot to win business these days in terms of hard work and going the extra mile and having clients feel your presence, not just hear it. Those are really important things that come from that hustle and that competitive fire.
0: You mentioned motivating the team to really come out and go above and beyond, be so present, do whatever it takes. And it sounds like, I mean, this has just been a theme for you of like getting people motivated, getting people growing, getting people moving in the right direction. As a leader, let's say, what are some, some of the things that you think about when you're working with somebody, maybe one-on-one, in terms of how you move people forward? And, and the reason I ask is this is something that a lot of people struggle with, candidly. I'm talking to COOs, CEOs, HR leaders all day long, and it seems like that is almost one of the number one issues is our leaders within our organization are really struggling to bring people along to that next level. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not easy for me and I even, you know, some ways do it as a profession. So what are some of the things that you think about when you're working with somebody?
1: Gosh, I I don't think that I've perfected that in any way. And I think sometimes I'm way better at it than others. And sometimes I think speed of business gets in the way for all of us and we're running really fast and we just forget that extra little something for somebody that, that would motivate them. You know, in a world of increased personalization at every turn, I think we tend to serve people, our our people, a one-size-fits-all message. So I think just taking the time, right? the, The number one thing I do if I take over a team or a business is to get with each of those people first internally and figure out what their agenda is and what my role in helping them is. And when you can do that and then you know, certainly build trust over time, they get the sense that you do care that you give a damn about them as people, you start to be able to get permission to be closer into what they're really feeling and thinking, even just walking the hall and being able to sense, you know, I had people, I remember one time walking through and there was um, actually somebody on our IKEA team at the time. And I just she didn't seem right. She didn't think she was putting anything out there, but I just walked by and it, it hit me and I said, hey, are you okay? What's going on? And that led to a conversation a bit later, more in private, and that allowed me to actually help her make the change. And she stayed for like three more years at the agency as a result, but she was struggling with something and didn't want to talk to somebody. I think, you know, we've had people leave another person, for example, gentleman. gentlemen, left without sort of ever talking to me. So often you get people come to you and they say, I'm leaving. And it's at that point, I'm like, well, now I can't do anything about it. So the only bad conversation is the one we didn't have. So I said, let's just make a rule where you don't do that unless we talk. And then it's on me. If we don't figure it out, then sure, I'll help you leave and find the place that you need to go. So, you know, he, he left and then he, he called back. I forget how long it was later and said, you know, I want to come back. And now he professes that to everybody. He's like, you don't do anything unless you talk to Rick. Uh, talk to Rick first, you know. But I just think it's, it's about getting onto their agenda and showing you care about that agenda and helping yourself to understand that what motivates this person is going to be a bit different than that person. Some people are motivated by doing the work and getting sort of quiet rewards and and acknowledgement, and they're completely put off by being put in the spotlight. You know, they're petrified of it. Some people want to change that. So how do you help them change that? Others love a stage. So how do you give them that stage and and that piece of it? So, you know, and some just really want their team to do well. So how do you help them
0: It's so interesting. And, you know, you said something about it's, it's tough because we're, we're all running so fast, but it seems like that is missing in so many organizations is we're running so fast. We're running so fast that we're not creating the time and space to know what somebody wants or create, you know, have the door be open and for them to really get that the door is open that -hmm. you want to hear from them and it seems to me like so many companies come in with all these fixes, right? So, oh, people are leaving. So we need, we need to create some kind of benefit or we need to create some kind of new training solution or we need to create some sort of new system. But it's actually just, yeah, people may leave if they feel cared for. You know, what? they get a new opportunity, it's just their dream job, sure. But it seems to me like a lot of this is around people feel cared for. If, you know, if Rick knows how that person wants to be recognized and is able to deliver that, then it really, a lot of the other stuff seems to take care of itself.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes you still just need to carve out time. You know, I try to, and especially running specific teams, just, just get up and go walk the floor. You know, just, just literally walk the floor and see where people are at, see how people are interacting, let them know you're there, ask them how they're doing, and you just will pick up on little things. And being present in that way and accessible in a way that's in their business versus them having to come to you, I think that's an important piece of it. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big proponent of having, whether it's clients, teams, partners, feel Right. Feel your partnership. And that that doesn't come with sort of lip service or, you know, process or those sorts of things. That comes with looking somebody in the eye, having them feel that you're genuine and telling them that you're there for them and that, you know, however, I promise you, if we talk about it, we can figure it out.
0: Rick, taking us in a bit of a different direction here and perhaps to what, you know, Wavemaker is about in terms of the future of digital don't have to go there if you don't want but i'd love to hear about you know an area of let's say the future of work that you're really passionate about in terms of what do you see happening in the market whether it's with employees whether it's with customers whether it's with technology i'd love yeah. to hear about what you are thinking about a lot as a coo when you think about the future
1: sure i think i think that there's a lot going on obviously and and as i mentioned there's all these specialisms and if you think about probably for me, less so digital, more so data and what what everybody is talking about around data and uh, AI and, and those sorts of things. And I think you know, AI is something we're applying to everything from how we do interviews with people, doing sort of personality, artificial intelligence matching and how personality types might get along. I think that for me, there's a couple of very basic, simple things that are probably more important to the future or how we work as WaveMaker. And it goes more with connecting the dots because I think that the future can easily become this place of silos, of specialisms of people not actually connecting more and integrating. And if you think about our clients, they're doing the same thing. There's more and more stakeholders and silos within a client organization. And the easy thing to do would be to build our own specialisms and match to that. I talk about a little bit as us being more of the glue in these sorts of scenarios and the ability to connect the dots. And there's a couple of things. One is we talk about a homeroom classroom mentality or, or setup. Where we have people who are coming to their homeroom, which is the client they work on every day, but they have the opportunity to learn within their discipline and across disciplines in a classroom setting that is driven by our discipline leads. So, yeah, they're accountable and their reporting line is all about we're client centric, but they have that opportunity to grow. Beyond just their discipline, even to cross disciplines, and they can see if I'm a search person, I can go to a, a social classroom and learn more social and bring that to my everyday. So I think homeroom classrooms. One, the other that I think is really powerful is this concept of, and you you probably heard it before, but this concept of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and how we can really help our people understand and 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 source people to work here that have more of a growth mindset when they think about it as you know it's not a failure it's not wrong but they come at it as there's another way to do it there's got to be another way to do it how can we solve that together or move from here to here and i don't see any sort of constraints on my position in bringing that forward And so we talk a lot about like having an agency of leaders. It's not about hierarchy. It's actually just about a way of thinking that happens across levels, no matter what, even a junior person, entry-level person can bring that growth mindset.
0: Around growth mindset, how have you, well, even before creating that environment of learning, so huge. That's again, so many companies, the talent, they just want to learn, right? So even if it's Even if we don't have a promotion imminent, if we're feeling like we're adding real skills to our skill set, that can feel really good for somebody. That is leveling up. That's them getting value out of being at WaveMaker because they're adding different things that are valuable for them for whatever they do next, whether it's at WaveMaker or beyond. So that's huge. And then in terms of growth mindset, I'd love to hear how are you screening for that? And potentially, how are you training it? Because you can train it, you can teach it, to some extent, Um, people can shift from a fix to a growth with various support. So I'd love to hear, maybe like, how are you operationalizing that to some extent?
1: You know, I think some of it can come through in screening, just literally asking about how people have addressed different challenges and getting into the specifics of what they did what they saw their role in that as how they might do it differently you know what are the constraints they felt in doing it because again it, it can become as simple as the difference between somebody who actually winds up as an order taker for a client versus somebody who actually brings the right provocation the right question and helps a client realize what they really need versus what they're asking for. And in that day-to-day, we become way stickier with our clients. So I just think there's there's an element of screening just how people tackle problems and see their role in it. I think in terms of us operationalizing that, some of it is just how we've tried to really eliminate sort of the vertical aspect of things and and the hierarchy piece. I think that you know we have leadership boards and transformation teams that have entry level, you know, associates on those teams, because we want people to think beyond just what their station in the agency might be. And again, having an agency of leaders. I think there's that, I, I think we could probably get better at literally having training for it. I think we've demonstrated it and sort of lived it in some aspects of what we do, but taking people and training it, I think we could probably do a better job.
0: Got it. Yeah, it's a tough one to crack. I I love the conversation that I've heard around growth mindset in organizations is that there's one version of growth, which is obviously revenue growth, right? But if you are running an organization where everybody is in a growth mindset and growing themselves, that's actually massively growing the organization as well, because you're just growing the capacity. So if you think about that, and that's again why I hear a lot of times people will put people in stretch positions, healthy stretch positions all over. Because if you think about it, that's growth too. Now these people are being, even if they're not necessarily able to perform at a 96 out of 100 right, right away, they may start at a, you know, a 69 out of 100. But if, they, if that stretch is going to bring them up, you've just increased the capacity of your organization by a lot. And so I've been experiencing this where it's, it's painful sometimes to do things that way because yeah. you really have to be with more failure and you have to be with more gaps, right? And it's, it requires more patience and it requires more, it requires more of those carved out conversations with people just to get where they're at and what they're experiencing. But it seems like those are also a lot of the most successful organizations as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we've had a lot of success in And number one reason people mention for leaving is not money. It's not a host of other things. It's when they stop feeling the growth opportunity. They don't feel they're growing anymore. And if uh, more and more people say if they when they feel they're growing, some of the other stuff they'll they're willing to deal with work life balance, what have you it doesn't matter as long as they feel challenged and, and sort of inspired in that way. Wow you know, some of the biggest success stories we've had in terms of promotion and um, sort of overall growth into other disciplines is when we've said person X on maybe is a digital person specifically or uh, has a specialism in social. And we see the right sort of characteristics, leadership, people skills, overall strategic thinking, and we shift them into a client leadership role. And it's Magnificent, magnificent. And they, they have a learning curve, but they feel like they've grown, they're more valuable, they're running a business, and our clients love it, right? So I think when we can do that sort of thing and give them the tools and understand that there's a, a learning curve and we can help define where we think that learning curve is going to be and help through it, everybody's grateful for it.
0: Rick, if you were advising another leader who was struggling in some of these areas around creating a learning culture, creating a culture where people are are having that opportunity to step up, what's the first place you would start? Like, What would step one be for a COO to start to get their hands around creating a shift? I
1: think step one probably is going to be a scenario, which, as I mentioned, I did, which was a bit of a listening tour. It sounds so cliche and so obvious, but I think we all, you know, don't always do it. And I think just doing it with no agenda, just completely listening and getting a sense for where things really are versus um, where you might like them to be. I think having a transparent vision for what you are trying to accomplish And what those shifts are, everybody should know about it. I think sometimes, especially in larger organizations, you get a certain tier of folks holding a lot to themselves. You know, I think it needs to be opened up to every single level, every single person uh, for everybody to get behind all of that and understand there is a a sort of a trajectory and and a vision for it. And then I would just say, find a way to make their agenda your agenda.
0: Got it. Rick, so as we, start to, as we start to wrap up here, curious if there's anything else that has bubbled up in the conversation that you'd like to share.
1: I think we covered most of the things that I was thinking about for the most part. I think there's probably a couple things I would say advice-wise is, um, one, the way things are in the world, in the industry, slow down, take the extra time to stay in touch. It's a people, business, and it all comes back around, whether that's with your people who have left, just because they've left, stay in touch. I reached out to somebody just on LinkedIn who I worked with for a few years, hadn't talked to for a bit, just, hey, can we grab a drink or how are the kids? And uh, I think that's just really, really important because you shouldn't stop caring just because you don't necessarily work together in that short period of time. And then the other thing is, whether it's a client or your team, we are all not perfect. right? So you're going to spill spaghetti in somebody's lap sooner or later. If they like you, they won't care. They'll come back again. So those are sort of two pieces of advice that I've gotten that I try to stay
0: with and, and have served me over the years. You know, that's such a big one is, and I'm hearing this, is having a, so it's not a transactional relationship. It's actually being in re- relationship and there can be so many circumstances especially now that are pulling us towards transactional relationships and it can even seem like that's the way to do it especially with the beauty of digital marketing these days is it's people think oh if we just get the funnel right you know if we get the funnel right turn it on and everybody's going to be rich or if we get the copywriting perfect you know, we turn it on, everybody's going to be rich. And the thing that I've been seeing over and over again with the most successful leaders and these companies that really stick around and mean something to people are the ones that are developing a real relationship with their customers. And then obviously as leaders, it's, can we put aside like the torment of all the fires that we feel like we need to put out and fix and just be like, okay, those are still going to burn but I'm going to be in relationship with this person right now. It's sort of a paradox in some ways to just say, Hey, I can see all these things that need to change. I can see all these opportunities yet. I'm going to put them aside and focus on this person in front of me. Yeah. So Rick, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, ask you questions or, or, you know, follow uh, what you're doing with, with wave maker.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think probably the best, easiest way is LinkedIn.
0: Pretty cool for LinkedIn. So it's easy enough. All right. Awesome. We'll link that in the show notes. Rick, it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me, Spencer. It was great. Thank you.